It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were given to the average American, the rich would have their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a really great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once it's in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So let's supercharge your wealth building plan now with Jim McAleese. And welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money tool for financial ready. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans. Plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies. Strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese. Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. The fall is here. Fall arrived in, uh, I think it was September 22nd, and the days are getting cooler. I walked outside the house on Thursday. Oh, I was expecting to walk into, you know, walk out into 70 degree temperatures. Here I am in my short sleeve shirts. And whoa, <laughs> 40 degrees. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, hey, the temperatures are going to be around 40 degrees, you know, at the, at the start of the day for the week. It'll, it'll get up to maybe the, the low 60s. But hey, it's fall. It just comes as a rude awakening. That's all when you're when you get hit with this cold all of a sudden. It's not really even cold. I mean, forty degrees isn't that cold. In any case, fall is probably in the big picture the best season of the year. So what we need to do is get outside and enjoy ourselves and be in you know be in the backyard or the parks or uh, you know this is the best place. Being outside the best place in the world right now. That might require a little planning for the next uh, three or four days because the weather forecast is showing some showers. But, uh, hey, you know, we're not made out of sugar. We'll survive. And with the cool weather, we should be able to walk or bike farther than, than we could without all that summer heat. And you can follow the trails through the woods or maybe explore the back roads. And if you're working in the backyard, you'll notice all those things that, uh, you know, the extra jobs that have to be done before winter, before the cold really sets in. You know, like taking in the ceramic flower pots and 
getting the uh, hammock down and doing those repair jobs uh, while you can in the, in the nice temperatures rather than your, when your fingers are freezing off. And it's also the time to plan some short trips. They used to be called one-tank trips, you know, trips where you could enjoy the, the changing tapestry of the forest colors. You know, probably in the middle of next month, the, the, you can tell that the, the woods are, are looking, uh, they're changing. They're not as vibrant uh, green as they were before, but they're starting to change. And I bet the middle of October, we'll see this grand show, the oranges and the reds and the yellows. And so... As you drive along on these trips, you know, you take a look at what's going on there, and uh, maybe you can get one last memory of summer, like a trip up to Kelly's Island or over to Little Bass. And besides, the more time you spend enjoying life, the less time you have to worry about the annex of the economy and the stock market. Well, this week, global equities were down again. All of the world's central banks seem to be focused on raising interest rates and and slowing their economies in order to reduce demand and hence reduce inflation. In the U.S., the three major stock indices were down approximately 4 to 5% this week. That's a big number. In the U.K., the FTSE 100 was down, while in the European Union, the German DAX and the stock Europe 600 were both down. And uh, in addition, the UK's pound and the and the uh, uh, the European Union's Europe uh, were both uh, falling. You know, the euro is down. Uh, I think the euro is down approximately equal, or maybe even cheaper than the dollar right now, because the dollar has gone way up relative to the uh, the, the currencies around the world. I remember. Uh, Several years ago, I went over, um, you know, my son and daughter-in-law, their family, and and uh, we went over to France. And uh, the euro was, I think, what one dollar in uh, one dollar and forty-five cents would buy you one euro. Now it's approximately, you know, one dollar buys you one euro. So, in the uh, uh, in addition, in addition, Asia is also mostly down. Uh, Japan's Nikkei 225 is down, while the Chinese Shanghai Composite and Hong Kong's Hang Seng were both down. So, on Friday, the three major stock indices closed at uh, the Dow Jones, closed at 29,590.41. It was down 4% for the week. Uh, the Standard & Poor's 500 closed at 3,693.23. And it was down 5.79% for the week. And the NASDAQ uh, composite was at 10,867.93. And it was down 5.07% for the week. Basically, this week, the stock market and the bond market both reacted to the Federal Reserve's uh, plan that was announced Wednesday, uh, the plan to raise the federal funds rate by three-quarters of a percent right now, and possibly another one-and-one-quarter percent by the end of the year. Uh, that increase, uh, projected increase in the interest rates, that highlighted the fear of causing a possible recession 
you know, due to the increased interest rates and that will reduce the growth of the economy and things of this nature. So, uh, if you recall, back in the end of August, the Federal Reserve really, really got serious about uh, uh, conquering inflation. And uh, Jerome Powell, who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, at that uh, symposium down at uh, uh, Jackson Hole in Wyoming, uh, they had that annual meeting, and he, he elaborated that uh, the most important job that the Federal Reserve has right now is uh, conquering inflation, and that uh, we're going to focus on that. That was going to be the one priority, and uh, uh, he wasn't going to worry about anything else, which means <laughs> the stock markets and the 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 uh, unemployment rates and anything. So he's held that on the leather to, to uh, get the uh, 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 the inflation down by uh, raising the interest rates. In other words, it's almost like a holy crusade here. So, uh, you know, that that's where the, he really, <clears throat> really left the marker <clears throat> on the table on, on uh, uh, the end of August. And uh, now, uh, a week ago, not last week, but a week before, <clears throat> the uh, uh, the Consumer Price Index came out for August, and the Consumer Price uh, Index data from the Department of Labor showed that inflation, as measured by the CPI, uh, moved down uh, to 8.3% in uh, August from the 8.5% year-over-year number in July. So that was good news, and that was mainly due to the significant decrease in gasoline prices in August. August uh, gasoline prices went down 10.6% in August, and that was the good news. And the bad news was that the core uh, CPI data which is the other 78% of the of the, uh, the consumer price index basket of goods and, and services that we buy, uh, uh, that doesn't include, the, the 78, this 78% doesn't include the food and the fuel. Uh, that increased in August. In other words, if I take a look at the July numbers for the year-over-year uh, inflation, Without food and fuel, the core CPI in July was 5.9 and it increased to 6.3 in August. And if I just look at the month to month from July to August, the in July, the month to month was an increase of three tenths of 1%. And in uh, uh, August, uh, that had increased to uh, six tenths of 1%. So, uh, the month-over-month month, uh, core uh, CPI had basically doubled from July to August. So that doubling of the month-to-month month core CPI from July to August basically told investors that inflation was still strong and that the Federal Reserve would have to come down hard at this September meeting, which they did. And... Uh, in September, a Federal Open Market Committee meeting that occurred Tuesday and Wednesday of uh, this week, 
And uh, sure enough, uh, on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, he announced a unanimous decision, 12 to 0, of a committee that the federal funds target rate was lifted from, uh, lifted three quarters of 1% to a range of between three and a quarter and 3%. So the federal funds rate is the overnight rate. In other words, if you take a look at the yield curve of interest versus maturity, there's no maturity there at all. It's basically the origin. And that overnight rate, which is generally the the lowest rate on there is on that chart is uh, now up to a high point of 3%. At the start of this year, that that high point was one quarter of 1%. So it's gone from one quarter to 3%. So since January 1st. And in addition to that, and I'll go through the, what the actual words were in a minute, the committee anticipates that the ongoing increases uh, would be appropriate. You know, he, 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 uh, uh, he consensus expectation, you know, from economists, uh, expectation from the words were that we're going to see a three-quarters of a percent increase at the November uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting and then a half a percent increase at the December meeting so that by the end of the year, the federal funds rate will uh, be a high of four and a half percent, somewhere between four and a quarter and four and a half percent. So, as interest as interest rates increase, uh, growth basically slows down as investors are becoming more concerned at the Federal Reserve's action. Uh, you know, it is going to cause a recession. And so far, uh, if you take a look at what's happening in the earnings of the companies, let's take a look at the uh, Standard and Poor 500. So far, the companies have been able to protect their earnings, you know, and they protect their earnings by increasing their their prices, you know, and that's part of it, part of inflation. So, uh, but uh, uh, higher the higher the interest rates become. And also, the higher the unemployment becomes. In other words, the the Federal Reserve has made a big thing about so protecting the the, the worker, and uh, we're really concerned about that. Well, I remember years ago, one of the big concerns in the uh, uh, 1970s, the inflation was rolling up at. Uh, 15 and 16 percent. It was basically wage price spiral. And uh, uh, that was one of the big concerns of the Federal Reserve is to make sure we don't get the wages into a wage price spiral. You know, I think the, what is it, the big uh, automobile UAW contracts, I think are going to start to come up next year. Things of this nature. Uh, So the, the, Federal Reserve may may talk about how it's interested in the uh, uh, keeping the unemployment rate down, but I think what you're going to see is they're going to raise these rates until that unemployment rate starts to uh, get off this low that they've been on for. You know, they're three point seven percent at the last reading, and that's a 
a low for 50 years. So what you're going to see is the increase in the interest rates are going to increase the uh, prices uh, and the uh, unemployment rate. And uh, once the unemployment rate begins to go up, then the consumer spending will start to pull back. And that and that will impact earnings. So, so far since January 1st, the reduction in the stock prices has, has been, you know, in, in general, not in, not with regard to any specific company, but in general for the standard poor 500, the main decrease in stock prices has been uh, the price-to-earnings ratio. In other words, the uh, a year ago, the price to earnings ratio might have been 35 to 1. Now, for the standard and poor 500, it's about uh, uh, 17 or 18 to 1. So uh, the earnings have gone up. Or the earnings have been stable, and in a lot of cases, have gone up. Uh, but uh, uh, once the earnings begin to come down, then the stock prices, then you will have a recession. On your hands. That's not to say that it's really going to happen. What you're seeing today is basically the market's reaction to it. Uh, for instance, the Bank of uh, America uh, on Friday it expects the real gross domestic product to basically be uh, fall one percent in the fourth quarters, ending in the last quarter of 2023. That means you're going to be negative. Uh, GDP for the entire uh, year, and that the U.S. unemployment rate will rise to approximately 5.6% in December of 2023. So uh, that's one of the things that uh, you're seeing in terms of uh, what happened this week. And of course, if you look around the world, uh, this this inflation is not a U.S phenomenon is everywhere. It's in Europe and uh, South America and in other places. And uh, the central banks around the world, they're, they're uh, increasing their rates, interest rates too, in order to clamp down on inflation. So uh, the, the, the basically the culprit here is surging inflation and uh, a robust central bank response around the world and uh, anxious investors, and the uh, also this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine is having a big in, had a big impact and continues to have an impact on oil and uh, grain prices too. So, uh, if you take a look at the economies around the world, the U.S. economy has basically largely escaped the worst of these evils. In other words. Uh, uh, How'd you like to be in Europe where they're talking about rationing natural gas and, and uh, things of this nature? So, and the winter's coming up. So, uh, economic activity in Europe uh, declined sharply in September, raising the uh, risk of recession as the governments in the European Union uh, grapple with their war related constructions. Now, if you take a look at what what the Federal Reserve really said, uh, this is from the transcript of uh, Chairman Powell's press conference and uh, his uh, opening statement on Wednesday. 
I'll just take a little snippets out of it. Uh, today, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting uh, raised its policy interest rate by uh, three quarters of a percentage point, and we anticipate the ongoing increase will be appropriate, means we're going to have increases in the future, too. And we're moving our policy stance purposefully to a level that will be sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2%. So in addition, we're continuing the process of reducing the size of our balance sheet. So not only are they raising the interest rates, uh, three quarters of a percent on Wednesday, but they're continuing to sell uh, the bonds that they've accumulated ever since uh, uh, the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, the Federal Reserve has something like $8 trillion worth of bonds on its balance sheet. And it's going to start to, like in September, they're going to sell $60 billion of treasuries and, and uh, uh, $35 billion of mortgage-backed securities for a total of, uh, sale of $95 billion. That's to suck uh, that money out of the economy. And uh, that, once they start selling those bonds, they'll be selling bonds at the tune of about $1.14 trillion a year. They, they further elaborated on, uh, uh, let's see, where's the good part? <laughs> All right. Uh, they're expecting a GDP growth of only two-tenths of 1% this year and maybe 1.2% next year. And uh, the, despite the slowdown in growth, the labor market has remained extremely tight with the unemployment rate near a 50-year low, job vacancies near historical highs, and wage growth elevated. And they go on to say the labor market continues to be out of balance with demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. And they, they even go on to say the Federal Open Market Committee participants expect supply and demand conditions in the market to come into better balance over time, easing the upward pressure on wages and prices. The, immediate, the median projection or the summary of economic uh, projections for the unemployment rate is rising to 4.5% at the end of next year. Now, there's a lot of economists who have other estimates of how, uh, what in fact going to happen to unemployment next year, and some of them are as high as 55 to 6%. So right now we're at 3.7%. Uh, in August, the 12-month change in the consumer price index was 8.3%. We know that. And the change in the core CPI uh, was 6.3%. And price pressures remain evident across the board, broad range of goods and services. At today's meeting, let me jump to this, the committee raised the target rate for the federal funds rate by three-quarters of a percent bringing the target range to three and a quarter to to three to three and a quarter percent we are continuing to 
the process that's significantly reducing the size of their balance sheet uh, at some point as the stance of uh, monetary policy tightens further, will become appropriate to slow the pace of increases uh, as we assess whether our cumulative policy adjustments are affecting the economy and inflation. So uh, restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautions strongly against premature uh, loosening policy. That lesson came from the uh, 1970s, where uh, in about 1973, the inflation started to pick up and the Federal Reserve increased the rates at that time. Uh, The chairman at that time was Arthur Burns, and he increased the rates to try to get to stamp out inflation, but he got a recession on his hands, and then he reversed the rate. Basically, the Federal Reserve blinked, and uh, it's known as Burns' blunder. And uh, he got out of his problem at that time, but inflation, it didn't cure inflation, and inflation basically began to take off the rest of that uh, decade. As shown in the uh, summary of economic projections, the median projection for the approximate appropriate level of federal funds is 4.4% at the end of this year. So what he's telling us there in his jargon is expect the overnight rate or the federal funds rate to be uh, 4.5% by the end of this year. And uh, it actually be four and a quarter to four and a half. Uh, but I always refer to the top number. And also, uh, it, it, the median projection would be 4.6 at the end of next year. So at the end of next year, it would be 4.75%. So there's also discussions about whether that's going to be enough or not, too. So reducing inflation. This is his last comment. Reducing inflation is likely to require sustained effort of below-term growth, and there are very likely to be softening of the labor market conditions. Restoring price stability is essential to set the stage for achieving maximum unemployment and stable prices over the long run. So, you know, it, it tells you what they're going to do. They're going to uh, they raise the uh, Federal funds rate by three quarters of a percent on Wednesday. They're going to probably, they're not committed to it, but they're probably going to increase it another one and a quarter percent so that by the end of this year, they got two more meetings to November and December. So by the end of the year, they'll be up to the highest 4.5 percent. Will that cause, will that uh, pure inflation? We'll we'll basically see. you know, it's uh, uh, one of the things you're there. One of the things that they don't talk about too much, but you're actually going to have to keep your eye on the unemployment. Uh, they've talked about that unemployment being uh, in, a, in a 50-year low, and that's one of the things that they want to do is get that employment 
up. Uh, if that unemployment stays down low, then you're, you're in that constant danger of the wage price spiral. Uh, you know, wages have gone up 5.2% over the last 12 months, according to the you know, Department of Labor. But since January, they've probably gone up six or seven percent. So, uh, what you're going to see is the Federal Reserve are really getting serious now. Okay, uh, you know, and what you're seeing too is what you're seeing too is the uh, the markets uh, becoming more fearful of a recession. Whether we actually have a recession or not is another story. It's just a matter of. If they become fearful about a recession, the more fearful, then the more the stock prices uh, go down. So uh, this is Jim McAleese. Uh You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That number is 1-888-281-1110. You can give us a call. We'll talk about the, the macro picture about what's going on, and we'll talk about uh, your own financial plan and how you're doing with regard to savings and investing and uh, trying to get ahead in this crazy world. So uh, give us a call, and stay tuned. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you who have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, however, Jim can't answer all your questions because of time restraints and the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstones Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, finding your next home, planning for retirement, finding the right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow with Jim Magalise. Could hide neath the wings of the bluebird as she sings. You're on. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Uh, you can give us a call. We have a toll-free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. You know, one of the things we've been talking about is is, is the big picture, but we also have to talk about the, the micro picture, which is what's happening to your financial plan. In other words, how are you doing with regard to defining your goals? Uh, I, you know, different stages of life, people have different goals, but uh, you know, the kids are ever interested in uh, getting through school, starting a career, uh, buying a car, renting an apartment, uh, Sooner or later, they'll be talking about settling down, and sooner or later, they'll talk about settling, starting a family and buying a house and maybe starting a business. 
And uh, sooner or later, we all come to that point where we talk about retirement. And we so we know these things are going to happen. And uh, you can easily put these things on a piece of paper and put down a year that these things are going to happen approximately and have some idea about what it's going to cost. Uh, you know what retirement's going to cost. It's going to cost you uh, basically an arm and a leg. Uh, you're going to have to have enough money when you retire to uh, augment your Social Security and your pension or whatever and uh, to get you to a uh, safe, uh, secure retirement. Uh, what does it take to buy a house? Uh, it takes a 20% down payment. Uh, what does it take to start a business? It takes a, a, you to start it on a shoestring or... Or uh, you borrow money. In order to borrow money from the bank, you need collateral. So uh, what does it take to start a family? Uh, the standard of living for, for a single person is uh, it can go down, way down, almost zero. Uh, once the family uh, starts, then uh, there is a standard of living that is kind of locked in, you know. Uh, You've got to make the uh, you got to make the uh, uh, the pay in order to be able to keep that standard of living as well as invest in uh, other things. And investments is, are part of it, and also uh, uh, estate planning and things like that are also part of it. So, uh, these are the things that we yes. Hey, Jim, you know, speaking about the micro version of the budget, we have a great question from Jeffrey. Okay. Okay. Um, he is Did not. Is Jeffrey on the No. Oh, okay. he, no, he called during the break. But he's not working right now at an outside job, but he has a couple of rental properties. And his question is can income from rental properties be considered as eligible for an IRA contribution? Uh, generally, the answer is no. You know, the. The, the rental income is <clears throat> it's considered to be passive passive income, and basically, when you're talking about uh, IRAs and retirement plans and stuff like that, you're talking about active income or uh, compensation from working, and uh, you know contributions to traditional and Roth IRAs. They have to come from active income that. <clears throat> compensation, wages, salaries, tips, professional, you know, bonuses, any amount that you receive for providing uh, services, as well as commissions even, and, and uh, uh, self-employment income. Uh, if you work for a salary, you receive an IRS Form W-2 uh, for the qualifying income, and if you're an independent contractor or you're self-employed, uh, you generally have one of those 1099 miscellaneouses. <clears throat> Another way to know whether your income qualifies is if you pay a FICA or uh, self-employment tax on it. So uh, rental income generally is considered to be passive income. <laughs> tell that to tell that to uh, uh, the landlord. He's he's. The landlord is generally working their tails off trying to keep this place going, uh, but it's considered to be passive, which means basically you're making money on money. 
and uh, interest uh, like interest and dividends. They're also considered to be passive income, and they don't. Uh, you know, you can't use those for IRA contributions either. As an alternative, one thing you could do is uh, form your own property management company uh, as a limited liability or even an S corp, and become an employee. Then you could have a a four hundred one k, a solo four hundred one k. Or if you file a joint return with your spouse and your spouse has uh, earned income, you could each contribute to your own IRAs as long as your spouse earns enough income to cover each of your contributions. In that case, you could use your rental income to basically fund your spousal IRA. And, uh, uh, you know, if you put your mind to it, uh, there's a lot of a lot of work that you do in running these things. So the the, uh, the advice I'd give to you is typically no, but in any case, check with a uh, accountant and uh, or tax preparer and uh, get the uh, uh, get their uh, uh, recommendation and input on that particular problem. So. Uh, Jeff, if that's if you need more information, just give us a call. Our number here is one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. <clears throat> Flow, you can give us a call over our toll free number. It's two eight. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. You know, we started the show with the the uh, what the Federal Reserve is going to do, uh, but there's a lot more to this economy than just the, the Federal Reserve playing around with the interest rates. Uh, one of the things that is being most affected by what the interest uh, the Federal Reserve is doing is existing home sales and uh, also uh, home construction. If you take a look at uh, uh, the 30-year mortgage rate, uh, the 30-year mortgage rate has gone from basically 3% up to above uh, 6%. In other words, in some cases, I think it, it changes so rapidly that basically a it's somewhere around six and uh, I think it's six and a half percent uh, plus uh, uh, maybe uh, seven tenths of a percentage of points. So uh, to me, uh, you can take a look at the uh, report from the National Association of Realtors and uh, uh, they report on existing home sales. It includes single family homes, townhouses, condos, and co-ops. And, uh, uh, they notched the minor contraction of four tenths of a percent from July, uh, uh, you know, to a seasonably adjusted annual rate of 4.8 million homes sold in August, and uh, uh, the year-over-year decrease in home sales in August was 19.9 percent. So, for the last seven months, ever since these uh, 
uh, mortgage rates have gone up from three to six percent. Uh, the home sales is uh, home sales have gone down, and uh, their chief economist with the Federal Reserve, uh, Lawrence Young, he had this to say about it: "Quote the housing sector." is the most sensitive to and experiences the most immediate impacts from the Federal Reserve's interest rate policy changes. The softness in home prices, home sales, not prices, home sales, reflects this uh, year's escalating mortgage rates. Nevertheless, homeowners are doing well with near non-existent distressed property sales and home prices still higher than a year ago. So, but uh, nevertheless, the number of uh, homes for sale is still fairly limited. In other words, if you take a look at the uh, the uh, total uh, housing inventory, uh, the number of houses ready for sale it registered a decrease of one and a half percent from July, and uh, the unsold inventory sits at. 3.2 months supply at the current sales price. So uh, typically what you'd like to see is something like four or five. No, well, maybe five. Five would be a good number, five months supply. 3.2 is a tight tight housing market. Uh, concerning the number of homes for sale, Lawrence Young said that, uh, quote, inventory will remain tight in the coming months and even for the next couple of years. Some homeowners are unwilling to trade up or down after locking in historically low mortgage rates in recent years and thereby increasing the need for more new home construction uh, to boost supply. Well, I don't think you're going to see too much new home construction there. Even with the increase in fixed mortgage rates, the median existing home prices for all housing types in August was three hundred and eighty nine thousand five hundred dollars. Now that's a national average, and uh, that's a, that represents a seven point seven percent jump from August uh, a year ago. Uh, and the prices rose in all regions. And when they talk about regions in this report, there's basically the Northeast, the Midwest, the South, and the West. So we'll get to what happened in those areas. However, with the second month in a row, that the median sales price uh, uh, retracted after reaching a record high of $413,800 in June. So what you're seeing is that year-to-year home prices are still increasing, but I think they're not increasing as fast as they've done in previous years. So you're Sooner or later, you're going to see a point where uh, they're not increasing at all. When is that going to happen? I'm not quite sure. Uh, What you're seeing right now is that uh, the increase in interest rates has reduced the demand uh, for houses and and reduced the sales uh, for houses. uh, But homes continue to move uh, fast. Once they're on the market, uh, typically, properties remained on the market for 16 days in August, and uh, that's up from 14 days in July. But in any case, that 
14 or 16 days is, as far as I'm concerned, that's super fast. And uh, 81% of the homes sold in August were in the market for less than a month. And the uh, basically the first-time home builders, they're still in the market. They're basically uh, 30% of the sales are to uh, first-time home buyers, and uh, which is pretty amazing considering the price of the homes. You know the, the high prices. So sales has slowed with the increase in the mortgage rates, uh, according to the uh, Mortgage Bankers Association. Uh, the average uh, uh, interest rate, contract interest rate for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage with conforming paper. Uh, conforming paper means that uh, they, you, the people have jobs and they have uh, steady income and they have uh, a uh, credit, good credit rating at least at this nature and a loan-to-value ratio of 80%. That... Uh, the 30-year mortgage rate is six and a quarter percent, with uh, seven tenths of one percent uh, as points, including the origination fee. So, if you take a look at single-family rather than condos and things of this nature, the single-family homes in uh, sales in uh, August were down nine tenths of a percent from July, and down 19 percent from the previous year, and the uh, median uh, home price was $396,300 in August, and that was up 7.6% from August a year ago. Uh, in terms of where you live, if you take a look at existing home sales in the Midwest, uh, sales fell 3.3% in August from July, and uh, and, and close to 16% from the year earlier. And the median uh, home price in the, that was sold in the Midwest is $287,900. So, well, you know, the, the, the home prices around the, around the country uh, vary tremendously. For instance, like in our Midwest, it's basically two hundred and $88,000. That's the median uh, sale price. In the Northeast, it's three hundred and or no, 413000 In the South, it's 356000 And you get over on the West Coast, it's $603,000. Oh, my God. Uh, and so basically what you're seeing is that the sales, home sales and existing prices are going down. And if you take a look at uh, home construction, home construction is also feeling the uh, impact of the uh, increase in the mortgage rates. So if you take a look at the new home construction, and basically it's been slowing down ever since the mortgage rates have started to increase. Uh, there, you've got the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and they keep track of the new home construction with their monthly new residential uh, construction for August report. And the data for August was basically mixed. August housing starts exploded 12.2% uh, month over month from July, 
while August building permits decreased 10%. So uh, what you're seeing in home construction, new home construction, is that uh, when this COVID started, people were looking to get out of the uh, out of the density, out of dense living conditions where you had to uh, live in a high-rise and share the elevators with people. People wanted their own individual houses in their backyards and stuff like this. And single-family homes versus multifamily homes took on a, a, a new significance. But now what you're seeing because of the increases in the interest rates, you're seeing more emphasis now on the multifamily homes. For instance, like in uh, comparing the August numbers to July numbers for this year, what you see is the starts in single-family homes uh, was up 3.4% from July to August. But for multifamily homes, it was up 28%. So suddenly you're seeing, oh, let's, let's, let's build multifamily because they're cheaper. You get more you get, uh, more square foot, uh, more less dollars per square foot than you do with a single-family home. And if you compare year over year, August of this year to August of last year, what you see is that the number of starts uh, for single-family homes is down 14.6%. And uh, for multifamily homes, the number of starts is up 31%. So it shows you that, hey, we're shifting basically uh, away from the less uh, single-family than uh, multifamily. But if you take a look at the absolute numbers, what you see is that, the, uh, for instance, in uh, uh, if I take a look at the year-to-date numbers for uh, how many single-family homes have been constructed, uh, 700 and, uh, 737,000. Uh, we have 737,000 new single-family homes that have been constructed versus 358,000 uh, multifamily homes. So uh, there's still <clears throat> a lot more single-family homes than multifamily homes. But what we're seeing is that the emphasis is now beginning to focus on the multifamily because of the uh, increase, because of the uh, reduction in the affordability with the, uh, and by affordability, I mean the interest rates have gone up, they've gone up from 3% to over 6%, and in addition, you've also gotten uh, the um, home prices have gotten to the point where uh, after several years of 15 to 20% home and home price increases, uh, home prices are way up there. So uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. What you're seeing in the uh, home construction industry 
there's a survey that they uh, put out, and the latest survey from the single family home builders. That's it from the there's a National Association of Home Builders, and that they, in conjunction with the Wells Fargo uh, Housing Market Index, they show that uh, builders' confidence plunging as affordability uh, um, becomes more and more difficult. Uh, the latest housing market index for September uh, fell to 46. Uh, and uh, from the previous month, and the uh, an index month an index number of fifty uh, generally indicates neutral, and that means that something less than fifty indicates a contraction. And according to this report, due to a slowdown in the housing market, builder sentiment fell in the ninth straight month in September, as a combination of elevated interest rates persistent building material supply chain disruptions and high home prices continue to take a toll on affordability. Builder confidence in the market for newly built single-family homes is at its lowest level since May of 2014, with the exception of the spring of 2020. Spring of 2020 was when COVID hit. Uh, According to the National Association of Home Builders, buyer traffic is weak in many markets as more consumers remain on the sidelines due to high mortgage rates and home prices that are putting new house purchases out of the financial reach of many households. And they may go on to indicate, as an indicator of weakening markets, 24% of the builders reported reducing home prices that's up from 19% last month, and uh, builder sentiment has declined every month <laughs> so far in 2022. And uh, again, that's due to the increased mortgage rates and things of this nature. And uh, uh, in this, basically, in this soft market, more than half of the builders in the survey reported using incentives to bolster sales, including uh, mortgage rate buy-downs, free amenities, and price reductions. According to the the thing, what they do is talk to the uh, builders, and this survey has been in existence for something like uh, 35 years. They talk to the builders and say, hey, uh, what's it look like out there in terms of... uh, uh, traffic through the uh, through your houses, through the model houses. Uh, what kind of response are you getting out of would-be uh, uh, buyers, things of this nature? And and uh, what they're saying is that, uh, hey, times are getting tough for the, uh, the home builders. So this is Jim McAleese. Uh, you're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. You know, with the advent of the social media, you know, um, you know, we instantly hear about the bad side of human nature, what people are doing to each other. But hey, 
in our own experiences, most people are honest and, and they don't try to cheat each other. They basically follow uh, their version of the golden rule. And here's a story about uh, honesty. Uh, it goes like this. There was a farmer who sold a pound of butter to a baker. One day, the baker decided to weigh the butter to see if he was getting the right amount. And which he wasn't. Okay. Uh, angry about this, he took the farmer to court. The judge asked the farmer if he was using any measure uh, to weigh the butter. The farmer replied, uh, Your Honor, I have only a simple shop. I don't have a proper measure, but I do have a scale. The judge asked him, How do you weigh your butter? The farmer replied, Your Honor, long before the, the baker started buying butter from me, I was buying a pound loaf of bread from him. So every day after the baker brought the bread to me, I put it on the scale, and I gave him the same weight in butter. It's not my fault. If anything, it's the, it's the baker's. It's the baker's fault. So in life, remember that you must. You may end up being treated the way you treat others. Some people call it karma. Some people call it the golden rule. Either way, it's the principle of treating others as you want to be treated. It's found in just about every culture. So this week, let's use the golden rule and take care of each other. And until we meet again, forget rich flow. May God protect you and keep you safe. You've been listening to Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese of Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. Located at 47149 Bursley Road, Wellington, Ohio, 44090, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc., The materials Jim shares is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of James McAleese and Cornerstone's Consultants, Inc., and not those of Next Financial Group, Inc. Next Financial Group does not provide tax advice. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of the common stocks of 500 leading companies in leading industries of the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price-weighted index of 30 actively traded blue-chip stocks. To make an appointment with Jim regarding your own finances, call 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners.